Mark. Now, I could preach a Christmas message, and I'm going to, and basically any message about Jesus fits for Christmas. So, we're in Mark 8, and uh, we'll begin there. We... We start at verse 27. Before I do that, let us pray. Father, we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to release the full measure of this word and to speak into our hearts and minds and souls, Lord God, to stir us and to manifest your purpose and kingdom in us so that we are literally changed today. We want this. We expect it. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to radically move in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas season is a time where many choirs, many orchestras in many cities and many towns play Handel's Messiah. Has anybody here been to a performance of Handel's Messiah? Anybody? I would encourage you, not many, I would encourage you to attend a performance of Handel's Messiah. Beethoven said that Handel was the greatest composer that ever lived, especially after hearing the Messiah that he had declared. It's really an amazing uh, piece of music that is set to the prophetic words of Jesus uh, of the Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, The first movement talks about his birth, and the second movement talks about his death. The third movement is the glorious, I'm sure all of you have heard it, the glorious chorus of King of Kings, Uh, Lord of Lords, right? Hallelujah. And it's an amazing time if you've ever been there because uh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and He shall reign forever and ever. I'm sure you've all heard that. Well, in that performance, what is traditional and what is typical is when you come to that refrain, everybody stands. Whether you're a believer or not, it's just part of what accompanies the grandeur of that piece. And it happened because in one of the performances before King George II, he was so moved by the declaration of Jesus' majesty that the king himself stood in awe of a reverence for Christ. And when the king stands, everybody stands. And so traditionally that has happened. And Mark is a gospel that has the soundtrack of the Messiah in it. Uh, Obviously, Handel wasn't born yet, but what I'm getting at is the majesty of that gospel is stupendous. And He shall reign forever and ever. And, And as you read this book, you are awestruck at who He is. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, the very first verse says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the title. Starts right from the beginning. This is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is not writing this book, as I shared last week, to prove that Jesus is Messiah. That's established in verse 1. The rest of the book is how we who follow Him should act. This is not a book about Him. It's a book about you in response to him. 
So the very first verse is the declaration. It's a settled fact. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. It ends in Mark 15 with the Roman centurion looking to the crucified Jesus saying, Surely this is the Son of God. So we come to the middle of the book where Mark makes the declaration one more time through the words of Jesus Christ speaking to His disciples. And He asks this question. Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? As they're walking, it says here in Mark 8, 27, Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way He asked them, Who do men say that I am? That's a question today, isn't it? Who do men say that I am? And I, the church should resoundly declare, King of kings forever and ever, and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah, and He shall reign forever and ever. There shouldn't be a confusion from the church. There should be one voice, one song, one declaration. He is Messiah, Son of God. Turn on the Christmas lights, put up your candles and trees and declare it to the whole world, Jesus is the Son of God. Well, his apostles, his disciples respond. They said, well, well, we've heard, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, that's just silly. Now, they're not saying they believe that, but they've heard people say it. John the Baptist died, was, was killed just a matter of a year or so, a year and a half before he asked this question. So, I mean, he can't be the reincarnation of John the Baptist, so what are they thinking, that John the Baptist died and now inhabits this body of Jesus? How do you do that? Because John baptized Jesus. It doesn't work. It's just kind of silly. They don't know what they're talking about. How many of you have ever heard a silly answer about who is Jesus? The world has a lot of confused points on who is Jesus. He's a man who found his inner Christ consciousness. Right? It's like, come on. Well, some of them say, well, he's Elijah, the prophet that is to come before the Messiah comes. Well, you got that wrong. That was John. This is the Messiah. And some say that prophet, in reference to Moses, that the scepter shall not depart uh, from, Shiloh, uh, from Judah until Shiloh comes. And Moses talks of the prophet that shall come. Well, this is that prophet. And so there's a lot of questions as to who Jesus is. I find it fascinating that if you read early Judaism, you'll also find out that they spoke well of Jesus as a Jewish rabbi. Later on, the church did not do too well with Judaism and persecuted, and then you get a lot of the hostility between Judaism and Christianity. But early on, early Judaism recognized Jesus as a rabbi. Islam recognizes Jesus as a good teacher. Buddhism recognizes Jesus as a great spiritual leader. Hinduism recognizes Jesus, again, as a teacher and spiritual leader. The Baha'i faith recognizes the teaching and the greatness of Jesus. Even the New Age movement recognizes Jesus as an enlightened master. Everybody loves Jesus! You can't deny that his teaching is superior. It is wonderful. It is amazing. But there's more than just a good teaching. And I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, A man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. 
he would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Either he is who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, or he's crazy. Because a good teacher doesn't say he is literally the Son of God. Because if he's not, he thinks he is. But Jesus makes that declaration. In fact, that's the response that Peter gives. Peter says immediately, Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He got it. He got it. Now, this would be the place where if Jesus didn't believe that to be true, because you hear all this nonsense, Jesus never said he was the Son of God. Jesus never said he was the Messiah. Well, this would be the perfect opportunity when Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. Oh, 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 wait a minute, Peter. Chill out, man. You're giving me too much credit. I'm just really a good teacher. No, he doesn't deny that. In fact, he affirms it as revelation from God the Father. He said, man has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed that to you. He confirms that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now that's a very important statement. When you consider who Jesus is, who do men say that I am? And there's a photograph of Jesus. It's called the Shroud of Turin. And it's a, a, a painting from that shroud. It's, it's fascinating that he, God left a Polaroid picture of himself. <laughs> you may not ag- agree with the shroud or not, but it's a pretty fascinating thing. You've got to look into this thing, and I, I, it, no one can refute what's going on there. Some power had put this image into this cloth. And so here we have Jesus. You can say that he was a good teacher. You could say, some even say he didn't exist, and that's just absolute absurdity from secular history. We know that he exists. We have record accounts that he exists. We have Roman accounts. We have secular accounts. And we have eyewitness accounts. Jesus lived. He did. He changed the clocks. He changed the world. He changed everything. But you cannot say he's just a good man or a good teacher. He is, in fact, the Son of God. Jesus says, and asks the question, after people say who he is, he asks his followers, who do you say that I am? And that question comes to you this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? Can you agree with Peter? You are the Messiah, the Son of God. You're going to have to contend with this. You have to deal with this question, who do men say that I am? Because in fact, this is a question of eternal proportions. Your eternal life rests on this question. Because in fact, Jesus goes on to declare 
that this question is in fact the foundation of the kingdom of God. It's the foundation of eternal life. Because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, a little stone, and on this rock, Petra, a foundation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He says, you are a little stone. You're Peter. He gives, him, he gives Simon the name Peter, Petrus. And he says, you're a little stone. But upon this rock, he, he purposely uses a, a, a word change uh, to, to declare what is being said. He says, you're Peter, a, a stone, but upon this rock, this foundation... I will build my church. What foundation? What did Peter give that is going to be the foundation of the kingdom of God? His confession. Thou art the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the foundation of eternal life. That you put faith in Jesus. So who do you say that I am? That question's really important. You can't get away with, well, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. We light candles to him. He's really good. You've got to come to a conclusion. Is he who he said he was? The Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. With that, you will find the foundation of the kingdom. And in verse 19 of Matthew 16, he says, And I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. All right, he had more ministry to accomplish. And so he needed them to keep that uh, under lock and key for a while. So he confirms in the middle of the Gospel of Mark the declaration he is Messiah. And that declaration is the foundation of the kingdom of God. It's what looses heaven and releases the blessings of God. It's what binds Uh, to our lives, the promises of God. It's what binds an enemy and keeps him from moving. It's the authority of heaven and earth. You've got to get this. The authority of heaven and earth is the knowledge, the confession, and the declaration of who Jesus is. He is the ladder between heaven and earth that Jacob saw in his dream. And that's what this confession does in your life. And so you need to come to a knowledge of this. Many of you already have, and you need to celebrate it. But what I love next is what Jesus did. Jesus said this, Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? How many of you know that feeling? You know what the world thinks about Jesus. And you know what you think about Jesus. And there are many times that there's a conflict between that. Would you agree? Definitely a conflict. But what I love about this next portion of Scripture is this. Peter makes identity, makes an understanding, knows who Jesus is. And when Peter identifies Jesus, Jesus then identifies Peter. You will never know who you are until you know who he is.
Until you come to a place to recognize that Jesus is creator, all things were made by him and for him and through him, until you identify him as your Lord, until you identify him as your Savior, you will not know your identity. In fact, your only identity to God before you come to Christ is by your behavior. You are either identified as a liar, a thief, an adulterer, a drunkard, a gossiper. You see, God identifies people according to their sin, their prevalent sin. That's why you see that in the lists of people in the New Testament. But when you come to Christ, a new identity is given to you, a new name is written down in glory, and what unlocks in your heart and in your life is your true identity of who you are to become. Simon became a rock on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He became the chief apostle. He became the apostle to the Jews. Come on. Think about that. Come on. Hey, come on. That's crazy. That's a fisherman that was overlooked all his life. He couldn't make it in synagogue school. He couldn't make it as a disciple. He must have been over 30 as a fisherman. No one wanted him. He's just doing his job. He's the guy you pick. And he didn't even know it. God reveals what his future will be. Later on, he even tells him how he's going to live and how he's going to die. God knows all this about your life. Some of you have not even unlocked yet what God has called you. You've been living under what the world's called you. You've been living under what you think you are according to your deeds and activities. He doesn't look at you that way. I know you messed up. You know you messed up. But that's over when you claim Jesus as your Savior. And now he identifies what you're becoming. This is what he sees you as. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what you will become and what you will be in eternity. That's how he sees you. How many of you have children that are grown? Maybe over 20, over 30, right? How many of you look at them now? You go, oh, look at them. And then you take their baby picture. Oh, I can see that in that. That's how Jesus looks at you. Do you imagine right now that Jesus is looking at you the way you would be in glory? You think he's looking at you, this rotten, miserable blah. I'm trying the best I can. He, you're his child. Peter had no idea what was yet before him in the kingdom of God, but God called him. When he recognizes who Jesus was, Jesus calls out who you are. Now that's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome to have revelation opened up to us. Everyone here has revelation opened up to you. You have a knowledge of God now, a knowledge of the supernatural, a knowledge of the kingdom of God. It's opened unto you now. Take and eat. It's opened. But what keeps us from that is the enemy and our own thinking. Let me explain it to you. Jesus goes on in verse 31 and it says this, He began to teach them That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days he's going to rise again. He said this plainly. In other words, directly and clearly. You've identified me as the Messiah. 
Yes, I am the Son of God. Now, I need to have you understand this. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, they are going to come after me. They're going to set me up, and they are going to put me on trial, and they are going to crucify me, and they are going to kill me. And in three days, I will rise from the grave. Do you get it? Now, Peter says, I disagree. I find that very offensive. And I think you are totally wrong. He rebukes Jesus. Oh, Peter's all that now. See, the Father speaks to Peter. I got the first answer right. That's Peter. He gets the first answer right. He's ready with the second. No discernment in that, young man. So he rebukes Jesus and says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no how. But turning, I I love this, Peter took him aside and began, (laughs) come on, Jesus, we need to talk, come here. Come here, he pulls his arm, come here, come here. Took him aside, come here. Look, you are so wrong with this thing, and I want you to know you're out of God's will. It says Jesus turns back, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Some of you thought he already did. (laughs) Peter pulls him aside, tells him this stuff. He turns back to the apostles and just puts his hand. Talk to the hand, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He literally positioned Peter behind him as he turns towards the disciples and says, Get behind me, Satan. He said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely your human concerns. In other words, you can't fathom this. You're thinking in your human flesh. You don't get this. Now he rebukes him. Now, I find that interesting. Isn't this the guy that just heard the voice of the Father? Didn't the Father, well, I mean, he didn't hear a literal voice, but didn't the Father reveal to him that this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God? Peter heard that from the Father. Next thing, the devil's talking through him. Welcome to church. And I'm not kidding. This is all of us. Let me ask you, that. oh, pastor, I've never done, Satan's never talked through me. Where's your mate? Where's your husband? Where's your wife? Where's your family? How can this be? Well, he wasn't demon-possessed. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that Peter's understanding, Peter's mind was limited to the human level, and he's speaking against God's purposes and plans. And he's, in other words, in conjunction or joining with an antichrist spirit and we've all done this we've all denied we've all doubted we've all wondered we've all spoken against the things of god because we're carnally minded in some of the things we do so what i'm saying by this is you hear from the voice of the holy spirit you hear from god and sometimes without leaning on the lord without checking to see if this is scripture or not we say things and we do things that actually contribute to the work of the enemy can i get an amen on that i mean i know you don't want to but you sure need to be aware of it 
Now, Jesus said it boldly and made sure Peter got it. You're not all that, Peter. This isn't the first time Peter's going to put his foot in his mouth, is it? Later on, he's going to take a sword and cut off some guy's ear. Later on from that, he's going to uh, step away from the Gentiles and be openly rebuked in public by Paul for what he had done. He's going to continue to do this. And guess what? So are you. Does Jesus tell Peter, get lost, you bum. You just got kicked out of the discipleship program. You're a loser. No. In fact, even Peter would come to a place to to deny Jesus three times. And Jesus tolerates it. He puts up with you and I. Because he loves us. We have the ability to make the confession of who he is and make the declaration of who Jesus is. And in the next breath, we have the ability to speak for the devil. But God doesn't leave us, nor does he forsake us. He corrects us. He teaches us. He disciplines. And may I say this morning, some of you need to be taught. Some of you need to be disciplined. Some of you need to listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. You need to pay attention to what you're saying. Some of us speak against the work of God through our opinions. I don't like the way they did that. I don't like what he's doing. Did you see the way he did that? This is wrong. It's all wrong. Why? Because the way we did it 25 years ago, it was like this. You see what I'm saying? Many of us speak against the works of God, and we speak against people of God, brothers and sisters. When we don't have the whole story, we need to watch who's using our tongue. And again, it was simply, he says, you have a mind on the concerns of yourself. It's a self-concern. So we need to discern self versus the Spirit of God that dwells in us. Identify who He is, but walk in that. Stop being self-centered. And that's what Jesus goes on to say. He said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving you the foundation of the kingdom that is belief in Me. And then He says this, I must now go on and explain to you what it is to be in the kingdom. He says this in verse 34 of Mark 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now he's making a reference to the cross before he was ever on the cross. So why would he make a reference to the cross before the cross of Jesus was even established? What would their mindset be if Jesus says you must pick up your cross? That was a form of capital punishment in Roman government. So when Jesus said you must pick up your cross, that immediately signaled to them you must die. You have to carry your cross. Now that is prophetic of what Jesus did, isn't it? Jesus is not asking any one of us to do anything he didn't already do. Now, he died for us so that we would die to us. I'm going to say that again. He died for us to show us so that we would die to us. Now, He is gracious enough to let us live, but we must die to ourselves. You can make the confession that Jesus is Messiah and Son of God, but still live in your flesh. 
carnal Christianity. It's what Paul argued against in Corinth and said, many of you are carnal, fleshly. You're more concerned about yourself. And this is what Jesus is teaching. Here's the gospel presentation. That you must recognize who I am for eternal life, but after that, you must die daily. You must pick up your death daily and deny yourself and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We're to die to self this morning and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You still live in this container. Though God poured His Spirit into you, who you are are as a person must be put to death every day in comparison to the will of God. That's what Jesus is teaching. And it's illustrated through Peter for us in this account. You declare Him your Lord. You declare Him your Savior. But are you more concerned about yourself? We must seek first the kingdom of God. We must die to self and choose His will. That happens every day. When you leave here today and go to the parking lot, how are you going to drive your car? Like Jesus or like you? How are you going to respond to the people in the other lanes? Like Jesus or like you? How are you going to respond to your husband or wife when you get home? Like Jesus or like you? Again, remember... Peter found Satan in his mouth. How many of you have the breath of the devil that Listerine can't fix? And that's what happened to Peter. And so Christianity, brothers and sisters, has got to become real. We've lost it. We've lost it. We've lost the flavor of Christ in our Christianity. We say, well, I made the confession, so did Peter, but he disagreed with Jesus on the whole program. Do you know how many Christians are like that? They've accepted Jesus Christ, but they disagree with the game plan. God forbid that would be any of us. Who wants to do that? Who wants to live towards Christ and live for Him? Let me see hands. This is a golden opportunity. Okay, there you go. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to help us do that. Father, I ask You to help us to crucify our flesh today. There's no greater demonstration of this than the manger when Jesus came so that He would die for us to show us what Christmas is about. The giving of life. Jesus gave Himself for us. Now, the Christmas gift we should give back is that we would give Him our lives and we would not take them back. I pray right now for everyone in this room that you would give your life to Jesus and not take it back. And I'm going to ask you to physically stand if you will agree that you are giving your life to Jesus and you will not take it back. If you agree with that, stand up.